You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell always tell people to bet with my bookie and sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code Gators and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Bet with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight is co-host Will Miles. You can find his work at readreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSDC. Will, feelings are a lot different from this time a week ago. Boy, it, it, it was a rough one, Dave. It was definitely a rough one. I know, you know, you and Bill obviously got the ride down and the ride back, and I'm sure it was a different feeling on the way down than it was on the way back home. Um, certainly, watching on TV, it was it was some of the same, some of the same thing. I mean, obviously, some of the things that cropped up from last year, um, or at least some of the frustrations that cropped up from last year, and and uh, you know. Obviously not the best showing to lose to a team that you've beaten 31 straight times, but you know, that's part of why we play the games. It's part of what we want to see is progress throughout the year. And I think there's plenty of places to make progress. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of, a lot of what we'll talk about is, is areas that we can, we hope to see improvement as well. Absolutely. And uh, before Will and I break it down, remember you can find Gators breakdown on news slash Gators breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's news slash Gators Breakdown. Also, find Gators Breakdown on uh, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version or if you're joining us live like some of you are now. Hey, look, using those services, please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, well, you know, I, I did the show uh, yesterday, uh, you know, kind of the Sunday recap. And, you know, first and first and foremost, the first thought after leaving the stadium, you know, kind of just you know, getting getting thoughts together after the game itself is uh, maybe the team and the program are a little bit further behind than we really wanted to believe after uh, the coaching change. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what it looked like. But, I mean, I, I think it's it's important to keep all of this stuff into perspective. The idea that Florida is probably nowhere near as good as they showed against Charleston Southern part of, because 
how good Charleston Southern is. And, and it made us, made us look and say, hey, there's not much more that they can do for that particular outing. Clearly, there's a lot more they can do compared to this outing for Kentucky. But I don't know that they're this bad either. I mean, I think this was, this was something where, especially in the first half, the team looked decent. Mm-hmm. Um, the offense was moving the ball. It was really slow again. It was sort of like what we had experienced in the spring game where it's just slow and the pace is slow and, you know, it's sort of plodding and methodical and things like that. Not not the up-tempo pace that we saw against Charleston Southern, but the offense did move the ball and moved the ball pretty effectively in the first half. Franks played very, very well in the first half. Um, and then came the second half where the wheels sort of came off but on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, the, this is what's going to happen with teams that have struggled in the past is that you're going to see some inconsistency. So are they as bad as they showed against Kentucky? I certainly hope not. Um, are they as good as they showed against Charleston Southern? I think that's probably, I think we could probably say at this point that, that they're not. And so hopefully the truth is somewhere in the middle and that they'll be able to rebound against teams like Colorado state and Kentucky and Mississippi state and, and make games of those. Yeah, well, and I wasn't sure I would see this, uh, you know, out there in Gator Nation on, on you know, Twitter uh, especially, or you know, where we're, we're very active uh, in what we do, and uh, I, I wasn't sure how it would be received, and you know, some other people had this thought as well. Uh, you know, it's an even further indictment on Jim McElwain that it maybe is on on Dan Mullen, and that's not to excuse the performance against Kentucky and, and what happened in inside the sixty minutes of that game being played. Uh, but you know, you, me, and Bill, um, you know, not to you know go back and, and look at it so much, but you know the, the recruiting and how it has fallen off. And uh, I didn't want. I mean, look, I, I know it has fallen off. We we knew that. I didn't want to believe it could get to the point that it got to Saturday night. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody wanted it to get to that point. I mean, anytime you're losing at home. It's a problem. Anytime you're losing at home to a team that's probably picked to be middle of the pack in the SEC East at best, um, that's also a problem. Anytime you can't I picked, run- I picked the dead last in the East. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, clearly people shouldn't gamble with my advice or your advice. <laughs> that is absolutely but, uh, true. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yes, it's a problem. I mean, the problem, it, and, and it's not what we should have expected um, based on I mean, based on the talent profiles, Florida is the better team. I think everybody on the Florida side, certainly, even on the Kentucky side. I mean, Kevin, who you had in last week, wasn't really willing to pick, um, wasn't really willing to pick Kentucky this time, and and I think for good reason. But at the same time, there were things that we probably could have seen from last year. Certainly, the pass defense last year was not very good. I'm not sure we saw the run defense quite falling apart the way it did the other night. Um, it, does some of it have to do with McIlwain? Sure, but McIlwain's gone now. And so the question is, does it get better throughout the year? I'm not going to sit here and say that Mullen did a terrible job because I don't know I don't know what his starting point was. Or I yeah, kind of yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, you know, we kind of yeah. know what his starting point was last year. So did he do a good job? Did he do a bad job? I think it's kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. The question that I have in my mind is, where is this team going to be against South Carolina, Missouri, and Florida State? Right. If we're still seeing this this kind of stuff in, you know, where linebackers are jumping out of their lanes and you've got, um, you know, an offensive line that's really struggling and can't get any push in the run game and, and those sorts of things in November, I'd be a lot more concerned than I am in September. I mean, again, you look at Georgia a couple of years ago when Kirby took over, took a step back. You look at a lot of different teams when the new head coach takes over, they'll take a step back in year one. Now, 
you know, we've been talking about recruiting being one of the ways you take that step forward in year two, but obviously also getting your guys, getting your guys in your system, getting them, getting them uh, comfortable with your expectations. Mullen certainly talked about that during his press conference today in terms of how people practice. Um, you know, so I, I think I think there's going to be plenty of blame to go around. I don't think it helps to sit here and blame anyone specifically. I think you got to identify the problems, and you got to take those problems and try to figure out how you're going to solve it. Now, in November, if you're still talking about problems that need solutions, <laughs> that's a problem because you know Jim McElwain hasn't been here for a certain amount of time, and by the time November comes around, he will have been gone for an entire year. And at that point, it, it's Mullins, it's Mullins' mess that he has to clean up. And you know, I, I think I think we're all pretty confident that he's going to be able to do that on the field. Uh, my criticisms of Mullen have never been on the field. In fact, I think he's a really, really good on-field coach. I think there were a few things that I would have liked to have seen differently on Saturday, but you're going to say that with any coach, mm -hmm. especially when he's dealing with all of the, you know, when you're plugging holes in every, in every, uh, when you got multiple holes in the dam and you're plugging each of those holes, like sometimes you miss things. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, if you talk about timeout usage or you talk about, um, you know, some of the different play calling and things like that, you know, some of that's understandable based upon um, what he was dealing with there. Cause it, it was a, uh, I'm not sure that scheme was going to help put it that right. way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, you know, I think if, if we just blindly throw out the, this is more Jim McElwain's fault, then, you know, it sounds like an excuse for the year and this year shouldn't be played because we can just blame everything on that situation. And I don't want to look at this year that way in this eye. If something bad happens, I just don't want to sit here after uh, every game and come on this show and be like, well, you know, this is Jim McElwain's fault. So, you know, there, there, I think there will be, you know, be things that we can look at and, and point to uh, that. Hey, look, I think that is the majority of it. Uh, but, you know, there, there are some things they can figure out. They're, they're going to be in some dogfights this year where, what happens on game day is 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 going to matter in some coaching decisions, kind of just like you said there. Yeah, well, and we talked about it after Charleston Southern that it would be interesting to see how the team responded when they hit some adversity, and they hit some adversity the other night and they didn't respond very well. Yeah, and so and, e and even and even how they handle getting praised for a week like they did last week. Well, sure, and so you know, I would say that 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 applies to the players, but that also applies to the coaches. I mean, you know, if if you look at the scheme and the adjustments that were made, I mean, any anytime you're torched the way they were on defense and you struggle the way they did on offense, um, I mean, it was a miracle that they were within one score at the end of this game. I mean, Kentucky had those turnovers down the red zone after having two pretty long drives. I mean, the game could have very easily been out of hand. And so um, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. I think some of it probably lands on McElwain and Nussmeyer. I think some of it lands on Franks. I think some of it lands on the defense. I think some of it lands on Grantham. And I think some if it lands on Mullen, again, I'm not sure that it matters where the blame lies so long as they're getting better. And the team can go 2-10 this year as long as they're getting better. Now, I don't think anybody wants to see that, and certainly I hope we don't, and I don't think we will. But if the team's getting better and preparing itself to be a championship team by you know getting rid of people who don't want to be around or by... You know, you put in the guy who works harder as opposed to the guy who has more talent because the guy who works harder does things correctly. Um, you know, or you you put in a young quarterback to give him time and you know give him experience, even though you know he's going to have growing pains. I don't I don't know what the thought process is, but I do know that again, it's a process. That was one of the things I really liked about Mullen's presser today was talking about the process and the process of learning how to practice and that things are built over time because I believe in that. I mean, I believe that. It, it's not an overnight thing where you flip the switch. Now, you know, 
you kind of hope that you don't have to flip a switch to beat Kentucky, but Kentucky came in and dominated Florida physically on both sides of the ball. When that happens, you're not going to win. All right, well, so let's get into uh, what happened a little bit on Saturday night. And, you know, things that, you know, I pointed out, I, I said in yesterday's episode as well, uh, kind of thinking, going back and looking at the, the keys that we thought for the game and then going back and, of course, we'll start at quarterback with Felipe Franks and what we were looking at in him. And, of course, the tempo you mentioned earlier was a big thing uh, that we didn't see that was similar to week one. Uh, some accuracy. Hey, look, you said, and I said, first first half, Looked good. Second half, things kind of went awry, and uh, it just kind of kind of fell apart there. Uh, seven to twelve in the first half for 105 yards. Finished 17 to 38, uh, 232 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and look, I, I said it yesterday, and I, I don't know. I don't know if you agree or not. We're here, but Florida's not going to win many games. If look, they, yes, they were still in this, but if Franks is throwing for 38 yards or 38 attempts, that's not the formula. To win, and I went back and and, and tracked uh, kind of the way Mullen uses his quarterbacks lately. And the last time a Mullen quarterback had at least thirty-eight pass attempts was Nick Fitzgerald versus UMass in two thousand six or two thousand sixteen, and that was thirty-nine attempts there. Uh, if you go back to two thousand fifteen, the year before, now with a quarterback he could trust, a quarterback that had some experience, that Prescott had at least thirty-eight attempts in nine games, counting the bowl game. So it is there in Mullen's offense, but early on and what we know of Felipe Franks, I don't think he's ready for that load yet. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think if you'd have told me before the game that Franks was going to throw the ball 38 times, um, I would have told you we were in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah probably playing from behind. Well, and you would have really expected the number to be switched, right? So Terry Wilson for Kentucky threw the ball 16 times. Franks threw the ball 38 times. You go, ooh, that probably needs to be the other way around, and then Florida's having a field day. Um you know, he ran for 44 yards, so it was positive on the run game. Um, you know, I, I calculate yards above replacement as the metric I like using. It's, you know, he was minus 0 0.8 for the game. He was zero po positive 0 0.56 in the first half and then minus 1.66. But again, you can't expect him to carry the team. And, you know, 38 passes is just too much. Um, you know, but he's still two touchdowns and one interception, averaged 6.1 yards per throw. Certainly has a few that, that he'd like to have back. The interception was pretty bad. The ball that sort of got tipped before it got to Tony, where he had Swain wide open. The two-point conversion, though that wasn't his primary read on the two-point conversion, but Malik Davis coming open um, for the two-point conversion, all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, all in all, I think Franks Franks was better against Kentucky than he was last year. Now, is that fantastic? No, it's not. Right. But he was better against Kentucky than he was all last year, and the other guys on the team didn't pull their weight, whereas last year I think some of the other guys pulled their weight, and then Franks was sort of what was weighing them down. Um, I don't think that's the case this time. I think he played. He was a little bit below average, maybe more than a little bit below average, but you know, not terrible. And, you know, he – he's not capable of carrying the team at this point. Yeah. You and I were talking before we came on here, you know, we're, we're not totally sure of the RPO situations and how much they're checking out of designed runs for the running backs and uh, how much he's calling his own number or how much the coaches are calling his number uh, when they you know, look to the sideline, when they have time and, and go to change to play from there. But there was a lot of times when you know, Kentucky dropped the pressure and forced Franks to beat them uh, while providing really good coverage there. And, you know, sometimes I could have think even Kentucky might've baited him or the coaching staff into giving a certain look and then, knowing they would probably switch to, to, to some type of pass and then, like I said, drop that coverage and, and make Franks beat that coverage. But you know, there was a point where Franks was 10 of 16 passing and then 
12 of 28 later in the game. So only you know two completions out of uh, the next 12 attempts, a two for 12 stretch. And uh, that, that, that's tough to overcome in a close game. And so, you know, for the most part, I thought Franks did okay given how many times he was asked to throw and the offensive line issues and, and the lack of running the ball from the running backs. Uh, and Dan Mullen, you know, come out and said too, because I thought he made a couple poor decisions, but overall uh, I did not have a big issue with his performance for where he's at at with this development, uh, basically at this point of his development. So um, uh, the key part, Will, Will, is where he's at with his development. And so I'm glad Mullen kind of pointed that out because, look, we know guys, and you just really sit here and think about it, it is, it's, it's nowhere near in year one right now, nowhere near a, a clean, finished product. And it's going to be experience and practice and just more game experience and seeing what different defenses are going to throw at him, stuff that he won't get in practice uh, from, from Todd Grantham's defense there. You know, Kentucky's going to show some stuff that Florida hasn't seen in practice and how is Felipe France going to react. So just in pure development of the offense and going out there and playing different defenses and seeing what different defenses are going to throw at him, you know, Mullen, you know, kind of just, uh, he thought Franks did okay there. Yeah. Well, here's where, here's the one, well, I guess there's two places where you could criticize Mullen in this, in this capacity. So in the first quarter, they ran the ball 12 times. They passed it seven. Mm -hmm. In the second quarter, they ran the ball five times. They passed it five. In the third quarter, when they weren't behind, I mean, they were behind to start because Kentucky came out with the opening drive, yeah. scored a touchdown, but they ran the ball four times and they passed the ball 13. So 77% of the time they passed the ball. And so Yes, it's it's appropriate to say for a quarterback at this stage in his development, he played okay. But the problem is, is you you called plays like you had Dak Prescott back there, mm -hmm. and and you said, hey, we're going to put this on our quarterback, and then afterwards say, well, at this stage in his development, he's going to struggle. You know, that's a place where I think you can legitimately criticize the coach. Now, you know, you fell behind; the defense couldn't stop them. Yeah, and so. You know, is there? That also there could have been another opportunity to run the ball, keep that offense off the field. Well, but you know, again, did they have the capability of doing that either? And I think that's one of the, that's you know, the, the yeah. But again, you were talking about RPOs and who was making those reads and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there were plays, and I diagrammed diagrammed some of this in the uh, in the article I wrote over at Read and Reaction after the game. But the there were situations where they had the numbers advantage up front and they didn't take advantage of it in the running game. Now there were situations where they had the run where they had the numbers advantage up front and they couldn't take advantage of it in the running game. Yeah. And and that's one of the problems, right? Third and three, there was a play where Franks was in the shotgun in the first drive coming out of the coming out of the half or Florida's first drive coming out of the half. It's third and three. They go empty backfield five wide and there's five defenders in the box. And so that's a perfect time to run a QB draw. In fact, Jordan Rogers on the broadcast said, watch out for the QB draw because he saw the same thing, but Florida couldn't run it because I'm not sure they had confidence that they could block the guys five on five. And if you can't block one on one, when you have that advantage in there and use the fact that you're that running with your quarterback is an extra blocker, it's going to be a really long year in Mullen's scheme, because that's really kind of required. Like the numbers advantage is how he, uh -huh. how he is able to, to make his offenses go, um, particularly when they're running the quarterback. So, um, you know, and there and there were a couple other plays where they split wide receivers well out wide, way past the numbers, and it's set to make the read easy for the quarterback. If there are a bunch of guys in the box, he throws it. If there's nobody in the box, he runs it. And and we didn't see any direct runs from Franks in those situations either. So um, I think there was some, or I think 
Um, some of the play calling was confusing to me, um, but certainly I'm not a coach, and so um, I don't know what was called, and I don't know who's at fault. Yeah. But I think I think if you're gonna if you're gonna criticize anywhere, it's the increased reliance on throwing the ball that happened before Florida was significantly behind in the game. And in fact, in the fourth quarter, when they got back to running the ball on that 99 yard drive, just a little bit of balance, all of a sudden they were back to being able to move the ball again. And I do wonder if they had sprinkled in some runs in that third quarter, whether they would have been able to move the ball. Yeah, and, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to make it sound like I thought it would kind of went out there and, and ran over Kentucky. I mean, look, it didn't happen. It wasn't happening. But you know, but, you know, P. Ryan has done when he's been out there. He's shined. Uh, he, he looks like he's in the running back that can help this offensive line. We know Davis's history, and you know, he doesn't look full one hundred percent, but he looks you know better than what Jordan Scarlett has shown so far uh, with this same offensive line. I uh, was upset we didn't get to see Damian Pierce with some of the things we got to see from him in the in the first game, uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, who's to know, uh, as you said, and I was going through that in my head as well. I don't know if they trust that offensive line uh, to sit there and open run lanes and, and get it. I, another thing is, you know, we haven't seen, you know, no matter who's the running back, we haven't seen the long runs yet uh, too much, you know, because this offensive line is really having trouble getting to that second level and holding their blocks against, uh, you know, either opposing linebackers or even going further down the field. So, uh, well, another thing, and the, the name's going to make you happy, Kadarius Tony. Definitely needs more. Definitely needs more touches. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of plays where he certainly juked some people in the backfield and was able to was able to get a couple of first downs. Um, you know, but he's coming off of a suspension. So how much does Mullen trust a guy coming off a of suspension to give him a bunch of plays in the game plan? I think it's legitimate to say, you know, you can't go into that game thinking. I mean, I don't know when they knew he was going to be eligible. Yeah. I don't know how well he's grasped the offense. You know, so so again, I, I don't know what you can say there. The one thing I thought that strategically was interesting was in the first half, they very clearly had targeted some running backs on linebackers as well as the tight ends. So the pass to Moral Stevens for the touchdown was wide open, but it was because it was a misread by the linebacker. But even if the linebacker had read it right, you got a tight end on a linebacker. And then the throw down the middle to Scarlet that went for, I don't know, 25 yards, something like that, was also one of those where he was on a linebacker and you know they were able to sort of isolate, do some of the same things that people did to Florida last year with, with their running game. And to be honest, I'd never seen Scarlet catch the ball. So it was sort of interesting <laughs> to see that happening out of the backfield. I think... You know, I, I heard you say yesterday in the podcast that, you know, you were interested in seeing P. Ryan and Davis get carries. You know, Scarlett's only gotten seven or he only got seven carries the other night. Yeah. He's only gotten, I think, 13 for the entire year. I'm not sure he's the kind of guy who is going to give you, you know, three 14-yard runs in the first quarter. Yeah. I think he's the guy who's going to give you the three 14-yard runs in the fourth quarter when the defense is tired because you've been pounding them the whole game. And so, you know, is he the right guy for the offense? Eh, you know, who knows? What I would say is that he did an excellent job against Charleston Southern and also did an excellent job the other night in pass protection. He picked up some blitzes that he was supposed to pick up, and that's something I've criticized him for in the past, but he did a very good job with that. And so I and don't know why we're not seeing somebody – like true freshman Pierce, uh, you know, the pass blocking could be a part of why he's not on the field. Sure. So Mullen has certainly talked about being a running back is more than just more than just running the ball. And if you can trust the guy in pass protection, and he can keep Franks upright. Well, that's an important part of playing the position. And so without knowing exactly how these other guys are doing in pass protection, it's hard to say who should or shouldn't be in there because last year, none of them did a good job in pass protection. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, again, I think it's more than just that. I think, you know, obviously you mentioned the other day that, that Frank's being the leading rusher two games in, probably not the best thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, leading rusher with 78 net yards. Uh, <laughs> that's not good. Not well, I mean, not even, I know it's a small sample size and I know it's only two games, but he, he's not Prescott. He's not Tebow. He should not be leading the team in rushing yards right now. No, it's a problem. And and one of the things that sort of surprised me is that Mullen has a reputation for being pretty stubborn. And sometimes it's annoying, but sometimes it's an excellent it's an ex- excellent characteristic because you keep doing things that you know are right. Yeah. I was I was a little bit surprised that they went away from the run just in that respect. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, if you want to be more physical up front, let's lose trying to be physical. Let's not try to be a finesse team to win the game. And that's maybe the one thing that doesn't jive with the talk about, you know, it being a process and having to build and all that. And you know, not caring whether you, I mean, not not caring, but that today wouldn't be any different if they'd won on a Hail Mary or a last second drive than it would be losing the game, except for, you know, maybe you're smiling because you won the game, but it really doesn't impact what you need to improve on. Um, you know, the, the one thing I would say is that they clearly were trying to win the game because they moved, they, they shifted philosophy from the first quarter. They came out in the first, in the first quarter with a specific philosophy and moved the ball um, and then they shifted away from that in the second quarter and particularly in the third and the ball stopped moving and Florida struggled. Yeah. Well, so, you know, go with two and where Florida really, really, really got beat. Uh, we can talk about quarterback and running back, but of course uh, in the trenches is where the offensive line has uh, yet to uh, assert themselves. And, you know, it's kind of, here we go again uh, from what we've seen in, in seasons past and years past and, uh, you know, they're still got a, a same starting five that we've seen throughout camp, and maybe, you know, Hagee can start getting some more playing time. I don't think they'll shuffle the pieces all that much. I kind of think they – here's the scary thing, Will, and I'll ask you the question just point blank. Are they are what they are? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that after the Charleston Southern game too, is yeah. that they're going to make mistakes. They're going to get physically beat. Um, and really eliminating the mental mistakes and the penalties are the things that I think Mullen can do short term in the next game or two. Um, you know, so if they go to Tennessee and don't get a bunch of false starts and don't put the offense in bad down and distance situations, then that's that's a that's a positive thing for the offensive line. And then you're looking for them to pick up some of the protections. There were some, you know, Kubelik during the broadcast was talking about slide protections where, you know, the the guard has to be able to has to be able to help off of his left, but then also be ready to slide back to his right if there's a blitzer coming through. And there were a couple of plays where they just didn't pick anybody up, and Frank's got absolutely blasted. And then you're sitting there going, okay, well, no wonder he's sort of jumpy when he's throwing the ball, because if he drops back and, and sits in the pocket, he might get he might get drilled. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the reality is is that these guys all have a lot of experience, but that experience has been relatively pedestrian performance and they put another pedestrian performance out there against Kentucky and, and that's just not going to be good enough against the teeth of an SEC schedule. Yeah. And I do think part of it could still be, there's still some guessing going on. You know, they're not totally sure they're a hundred percent what they're doing in this new system, but you know, that can't be the main cause of, of the basic issue of we're seeing in the physicality. It's still, it's still clearly there. Uh, and I'm sure that's played into the play calling, like we mentioned a while ago, of, of how much they're going to run the ball, how much they're going to run the ball with these running backs. Do, do they does the uh, does Mullen you know trust to play calling just because of this offense, or or not trust to play calling for the offensive line uh, to get something going and relying on the pass more than the run? You know, as you said, you know there's times uh, when numbers 
and it goes against Mullen's philosophy uh, of the numbers game. And uh, it just seems that there's not much confidence in this offensive line for the staff to, for the offensive line to, to actually push or open, open running lanes. And uh, you know, it's just, you don't see it too many times where you can just flip a switch and physicality starts getting there. So I'm, I'm hoping is there's more, as long as the, they get more familiar with the offensive line and, and they keep, you know, week after week, um, I get a playbook, watching film. I mean, there are things, you know, that have been pointed out to where they, they get in position at times, but for whatever reason, don't hold the block long enough or continue to, to, to get out of position once they're in position at, at some point. So I think there, there, there are some things to show that can get it better. I just don't know if we ever will see that next step. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to distinguish between effort and execution. Yeah. So I, th- I think as long as they're giving maximum effort, you applaud them and say, hey, if you're limited in terms of your ability to execute, it is what it is. And, you know, you represent the university and I love the university and I'm going to keep supporting you. I think when the effort starts to wane, that's when it needs to, th- then it's incumbent upon the coach to bring in the backup, regardless of whether he's physically better or whether he's even more mentally prepared. And so, you know, I, I think Mullen's going to do that at some point along the way, if he feels like he's not getting maximum effort out of the players, if he's getting maximum effort, you know, these guys are going to get beat sometimes. And that's, that's the reality. Now the problem is, is that when you've got, a different guy screwing up on every single play, then the offense can't have any continuity, right? If one offensive lineman screws up and Franks gets hit and all of a sudden there's a, there's a fumble or he throws an interception or, or, you know, a route that was open doesn't get delivered because he had to let go of the ball too soon. You know, whatever the case might be, that's going to happen from time to time. The problem is, is if it happens four times a drive, then you're going to really have you're going to really have issues, and so I think again it goes back to what they sort of talked about with Franks, making it simple, half field reads, doing what he does best. I think the same thing applies to the running game, where they're going to have to probably simplify the run game and just say, hey, we're going to run these three or four plays really well. If you know they're coming and you can stop them, that's fine. But we'll then build in wrinkles off of those in order to in order to exploit the adjustments that you're going to make to what we're doing to try to run the entire playbook from a running game, I think is going to be problematic. And this I think is where it makes some sense to have a running back that you settle in on because then you can run specific plays to the running back strengths. So if you're going to run Davis, I think you probably run different kinds of plays than if you're going to run Scarlet. And so, um, you know, I I think maybe that's where it makes some sense to zero in on a, on a running back. Um, You know, but again, if, if a guy executes it well one time and not the next, I mean, what do you do? Right. And you right. can't sit there in second and 13 and just go, well, we're going to teach them to do this right until, until they decide to do it right. I think maybe that's what happened in the second half is they just said, you know what, we're going to have to throw it to move the ball. I happen to disagree with that assessment, but that appears to be the assessment that they made. Right. And you know, th- that's why I kept going back to, to P Ryan and Davis more so than, than Scarlett. At least they seem with the same offensive line that they, uh, you know, that they, they can, make something happen that they can make a defender miss uh, Jordan Scarlett for whatever reason, just, it doesn't seem uh, whether he, he can't wiggle his way out of it or uh, seems tentative or just can't get going. I don't know if he doesn't trust the offensive line. It's just for whatever reason, it just is through two games. It hasn't looked the same for him as it has the other backs. And I don't want to make it sound like P Ryan and, and Davis have, have torn it up. You know, none of the running backs have either really got enough carries to, to really show that. But in the limited sample size we have, that's just what's being seen for me. 
Yeah, again, I think a lot of it comes down to play calling and getting him into a rhythm as well. So, yeah. you know, how many times was there a run for seven yards on first down and then they threw it two straight times? Yeah. Uh, even if the numbers advantage, even if it's even if the numbers aren't in your advantage, sometimes there's a benefit yeah. to just saying, "Hey, we're going to get this yep. three yards," and you know, give them a shot on second down to get the three yards. If it ends up third and two, you're throwing the ball anyway, and you, yeah. you were sort of in that situation if you threw an incomplete pass. So, you know. They didn't really double up on runs very often. There was one run. Right. Ooh, we got a couple of yards here, and now we're not going to do it again. Now, certainly, um, there was a play in particular I'm remembering where Scarlett was able to sort of they got some initial Kentucky got some initial penetration, and Scarlett was able to take it around the corner mm -hmm. and got you know seven or eight yards in the play. And again, they didn't come back to him. And so I think maybe that's something that we should look for against Colorado State in particular because the defense is going to need to be kept off the field, <laughs> and so. Um, you know, they're going to have to get more from the running game. And whether they can do it or not, I think they have to try to get more out of the running game. There we go. And we'll mention that defense uh, before we head over uh, to that side of the ball. Uh, a little message from uh, my bookie. So uh, ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. So usually it's what team to bet on this week. And if uh, you've been listening re recently, you don't want to take my advice for that. So uh, the truth is, I don't know who's going to win. Uh, but if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. So remember who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, they are your best bet this season. Hey, they've been in the business for years. They have great reviews and an easy to use mobile site. So lay down some cash and win big today. Hey, look, I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. And that's why I urge you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. And my bookie has in game live betting for the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So join my bookie now, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, MyBookie.ag. And don't forget to use the promo code GATORS when creating your account to claim the bonus. MyBookie, you play. You win, you get paid. And so we talk about physicality, Will, uh, and the trenches. And um, I didn't want to listen to you about this defense. Uh, you kept warning me just a little bit, and I'll, so I'll give you I'll give you some credit here. Uh, but uh, this defense was probably the biggest surprise of the night uh, of just how Kentucky came in and really owned the line of scrimmage. Uh, I didn't see this one coming. I, <laughs> I was worried when Marco Wilson went down, and certainly it's it's horrible that he that he had an ACL injury, and, and we wish him a speedy recovery. Um, I was worried when he went down that they wouldn't be able to stop the pass. To be honest, they didn't really need to stop the pass because there weren't a whole lot of passes called by Kentucky. Um, only 16 for, for Wilson, and he was really efficient, completed 11 of them, averaged 9.4 yards per throw. So he played very, very well. But, yeah, you give up 303 yards per rush, but 7.4 yards per rush, and that's uh, that, that, that's an issue. And and certainly you could see Florida getting knocked back. I mean, you know, even even the plays. So Florida, when they would run the ball and they, and they you know, just sort of a ho-hum play at second and nine. Kentucky, when it was sort of the same ho-hum run, it was second and five. And it, it, it just felt like every time they handed Snell the ball, um, they were in a positive situation for Wilson to be in. And so even when they dropped him back to throw on a second down, if they had, if they threw an incompletion, they were still in a pretty good situation. And, you know, you're, you're just not going to be able to get away with giving up seven yards a rush ever. 
if you, if you give up seven yards a rush, you're going to lose almost every time. Yeah, and um, like I said, we, we know uh, the Gators had 360 total yards, and Kentucky had 303 rushing yards. So, you know, that just lets you know uh, just how kind of uh, if you want to compare the offenses there. And, and, and Mullen mentioned it, and I, I was wondering, you know, how, I had to go back and look and, and do my own charting here, but Mullen mentioned in the press conference that the coaching staff had charted 20 missed tackles for 168 yards. So now look, we know there there was also a lack of the edge being set and and guys not being in position, but you know cut these missed tackles down by half and and it's a closer game and maybe uh, you come out on top there and Mullen even said you know and mentioned many a times, hey look with the way this game ended, if somehow uh, a miracle would have happened and Florida would have won this game, all the issues that we saw Saturday night in physicality are still there. You know it, it, it didn't matter, but part of that part of the physicality issue was the lack of tackling will and the coaching staff charted 20 missed tackles for 168 yards. Yeah, so the lack of tackling is a little bit worrisome, I suppose. Um, I don't know that it was the difference in the game. So if you look, Florida gave up 14 plays of 10-plus yards, and that sounds terrible, but Kentucky gave up 14 plays of 10-plus yards. The difference is Kentucky only gave up two explosive plays. They gave up a 30-yard pass to Scarlett that we already talked about earlier, and then they gave up a 21-yard run to Franks on that 99-yard drive. And so, you know, I don't really – I mean, it's over 20 yards, so I call it an explosive play, but it's really not that explosive. But, okay, so 51 of the yards. Kentucky had six explosive plays. Wilson had a run for 31 yards. Wilson had that 29-yard touchdown pass where it was sort of a scramble play and and threw it over the safety's head. Snell had a 44-yard run, and on that one, he didn't break a tackle. There just wasn't the linebacker wasn't in the right gap. Um, they had a 24-yard run for Wilson for the touchdown in the second half. Again, same thing. He didn't really break a tackle. It was just the guys were out of position. And then the 54-yard touchdown pass. Um, you know, I mean, it was a beautiful throw, um, you know, got behind Jawan Taylor for the touchdown, but that didn't have anything to do with a broken tackle. So the plays that killed Florida were those explosive plays. They accounted for all three touchdowns. They accounted for 202 yards and they were 34 yards per play. That's where the defense really, really struggled. So again, did they get a couple of first downs because there were missed tackles that maybe led to an explosive play or led more opportunities for an explosive play? Sure. And do you want to, do you want to sure that up? I mean, do you want to do a better job tackling? Absolutely. But the explosive plays that I mentioned didn't have to do with somebody not being brought down to the ground. They had to do with either the scheme not being executed correctly or somebody being physically beaten. And you can deal with the guys being physically beaten. That's going to happen. Guys not being in the right position, guys over pursuing, um, those sorts of things. I think that's really where you're, uh, that's where my concern would be with the defense is just giving up those explosive plays. And, you know, considering the Wilson injury, considering how the defensive backs played last year, if they're not getting more up front in terms of pressure, in terms of movement into the backfield, it's going to be a real problem throughout the year. Because if they have, if they have trouble stopping the run, um, I don't know if they have enough on the back end to to be able to stop the pass on a consistent basis. Yeah, you mentioned, and you also mentioned coming into this year, you know, and we went back and you know, looked at the, the, the LSU Texas A&M game last year's uh, chunk plays. Uh, well, and and it kind of mentioned your your thoughts onto explosive plays and your chunk plays kind of are in that same realm. But you know, uh, as what the official stats um, want to define them as, you know, Kentucky. 
passing chunk plays. So that's gain of 15 plus yards. They have four of those for 29, 18, 16, 54 yard plays here. And in the rushing, uh, you know, gains of 10 plus yards. And look, they're gaining first downs every time on these plays. They had nine rushing chunk plays and the, the totals for them, 14, 31, 14, 44, 19, 13, 12, 24, 20. I mean, they were just gashing at Florida. And, you know, even even when it looked like this, the defense could have had something, it was either a missed tackle or uh, a, a Kentucky running back or, or quarterback would run in the middle, but the edge wasn't being set. They could escape around the edge, uh, and, and they would end up being big plays when it was all said and done. So you mentioned the explosives. There's also the just the just the chunk plays that it was the the those type of plays there where uh, this Florida defense just could not get off the field. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not excusing the missed tackles. <laughs> I'm, not, no. I'm not excusing them at all. Um, and certainly there were a bunch of gash plays. And I guess explosive plays, it depends on what you qualify as explosive. Yeah. Yeah. I qualified greater than 20 yards as an explosive play. And so, you know, an 18-yard pass, a 19-yard run, um, you know, all of a sudden are those explosive or are they just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and some of those probably have broken tackles, but the plays they scored touchdowns on and none of their touchdowns were like running it in from the one yard line. I mean, they were all, they were all 25 plus play yards that turned into touchdowns. Those, those didn't necessarily have the tackles associated or the missed tackles associated with it. The other thing is it's interesting that, you know, the talk in the off season has all been about third and Grantham and the idea that he gives up these big plays and that that's something that we should expect. And I do think that's true in some respects is that, you know, there's a lot of one-on-one coverage. There's a lot of, there's a lot of safeties being walked up. And so you can, you can imagine situations where you don't have that safety net in the back. Two of the, two of the explosive plays that the plays that turned into touchdowns through the air were both essentially what looked like cover two coverages where they had two safeties deep and they just got beat. So it's interesting. And, and geez, on the play, the 54 yard touchdown pass, I mean, Wilson had about a day and a half back there to throw it. There were, you know, they had a four man rush and they had just all got stoned and he had, he had an enormous pocket to throw from probably had three or four places. He could have thrown the ball. When you look at the film though, I you know, don't have the all 22 to be able to look at it, but you know, he, he probably could have gone anywhere, had a had a great pocket to throw from. You can't let that happen, right? You got to at least make him move. You got to you got to contain him. And then if you're gonna play zone on the back end, you can't let guys get open deep behind you. So, um, you know the 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 thing with Grantham is that he's always been able to get to the quarterback and get pressure. And you sort of take the explosive plays as the trade off yeah. of getting pressure. But the other day they didn't have any quarterback hurries. They didn't have any sacks. Um, you know Wilson ran for over a hundred yards. So, you know, that, that trademark pressure just wasn't there. And, and if you're giving up big plays and you're not getting any pressure, it's, it's, this is, this is the result. And the reality is, I mean, the six points at the end were, were kind of cheap really when you think about it. So the defense only gave up 21 points, but it probably should have been like 40. Yeah, that's what it felt like, anyways. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we, we, in, in taking all this together, and you know, maybe how the team responds, or or maybe the mindset of uh, of physicality and all that stuff. You know, Mullen did speak on that at his press conference today, and in his quote, you know, that depends on the on your individuals on the team. Uh, and he said about turning the mindset around. He goes, "That's an individual deal. We're going to show them." These are the things you need to do, but until those things become habits, it's an individual deal. So how many times do you need to do something until it becomes your habit? And that's just something we'll see and how fast they learn it. So we'll, uh, at the same time, as the season goes on, 
you know, there's still a lot of learning going on. It's a new staff, a new uh, a staff with, with you know guys they're not familiar, with, you know, so familiar with yet. And yes, we know there's other teams around the country and first year head coaches and all that. But if we go back and go to the underlying, you know, excuse that we're given a lot with uh, of not having a lot to work with because of uh, strength and conditioning under Jim McElwain, recruiting under Jim McElwain. Look, there's still a lot of learning that needs to happen and is going on as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's two ways to look at it. I mean, one is that Texas A&M just went head-to-head with Clemson this weekend, yep. and and Kellen Mond was throwing the ball all over the place and looked like a brand-new player under Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Um, whereas last year when he was at the Swamp, he was really, really bad. We sort of thought he would be bad going into that game, and he's one of the reasons Florida had a chance to win the game. And, and really, you know, Florida and Texas A&M were about equivalent teams last year at that point in the season. I have a hard time believing that – that Florida is so much worse than Texas A&M right now. I agree. I agree. And, I, and, and so I do wonder why, why Jimbo Fisher has been able to go to, to, to A&M and have success while Mullen is struggling to get some of the things that he wants executed, executed here. Now, maybe it's that Mon took a major step forward. Maybe it's that the offensive line wasn't in as bad a shape there as it is at Florida. I'm sure that there are reasons for it, but at the same time, I don't know that we can consistently make excuses. I think what we need to do is look and say, this is where we are. And if we're still here at the end of the year, there aren't any more excuses. Like things need to improve. Um, the the other thing that I would say is again I think this is the other way to look at it is that is that certainly Florida was a four and seven team last year and earned it yeah. and A and M even though they were kind of close was seven and six so A and M was not as bad as Florida last year they just sort of played one game that was pretty close and so you say okay if they're a four and seven team last year what would be a significant improvement for the team huh? six and six would be a significant improvement for a four and seven team. It's just that we're used to them going 10 and three, nine and four, you know, that sort of stuff is sort of the low end of what Florida fans are used to. And so I think the anticipation was, is that Mullen was going to be able to turn it around quickly and get to that point relatively quickly. You know, they're probably a six and six or seven and five team. I think people see that now after seeing the performance against Kentucky. And if you thought they were a six and six or a seven and five team, coming into the season, you thought they might have a game like this. Now, I don't think anybody expected it at home in the first SEC game against Kentucky, but I do think that, you know, there there was a there was an opportunity that, okay, should they beat South Carolina? Sure. But will they? Eh, you know, it, it's a question. Missouri is sort of the same way. Mississippi State, they really do have more talent, but they don't have the same kind of develop, they don't have the same track record of performance as Mississippi State. So um Again, I think there's sort of two schools of thought. I mean, you can look at it and say a coach, some coaches come in and make an immediate impact. I think you can also look at it and say this is a four and seven team. Um, what do we want to see moving forward? And and again, a lot of the things that we're seeing are things that were similar to what we saw last year. So the question is, do those things go away as the season progresses, or do they stay? And if they stay, do they start making changes? Because again, if 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 somebody's making the same mistake over and over and over again, and you don't replace them, then that's on the coach. If, if it doesn't get fixed or you don't replace them, that's on the coach. If they just make a mistake in the first couple of games and you don't have your guys ready to step in and be able to do it because they just haven't been prepared and you don't want to throw them to the wolves, 
Well, you know, I mean, that can be considered a good thing for a coach to do, to give those guys time to develop. So if we see guys like Garage, come, if the offensive line continues to struggle and we see guys like Blake and, and Banks and Garage start to get some time as they start to learn the system that, and they start to play better, they start to gel or things start to get more consistent, then I think we can praise Mullen for that. If throughout the course of the year we don't see that, then I think that's where the criticism becomes valid. Yeah, well, and uh, you talk about the the course of the year and what's going on. Uh, you know, some expectations definitely have changed uh, uh, from definitely from last week and uh, after the performance Saturday. Uh, and, and you know, look, hey, look, you know, Colorado State's coming off of a win uh, against Arkansas uh, and, and comeback wins. They just beat an SEC opponent and a game that maybe seems so much of a given, maybe not as much of a given now after. Florida's performance and look you said it earlier and I was going to say this uh, in this episode too uh going back to Colorado uh, Charleston Southern games you know maybe not as good as they showed there and they're probably not as bad as what they showed against Kentucky but it has you know I guess opened up in people's mind that there's not going to be you know besides Idaho later in the season there's not a, a for sure win on the on, on the rest of schedule well i mean you know it, it depends on what you think of samford i guess as an opponent as to whether you think there's a gimme on the schedule but um <laughs> but, but yes i agree with you that each game is going to be like i don't think there's any more games this year that i'm going to pick florida to win by two touchdowns they're gonna have to show to me that they can actually score two touchdowns because a quality opponent before that uh before that's something that, that i would pick i I think again. I, I think it's it's natural to react to what we just saw and say, "Oh, this is what they are," just like it was natural the week before to react to what we saw and say, "This is what they are." And I don't know that either one is true. I think they probably play, played very poorly for the way that, like, if you think about the the absolute max that this team can play versus the absolute floor that this team can play, they were probably much closer to the floor against Kentucky than they were to the ceiling. And so the question then becomes, how consistent are they? Are they able to consistently get closer to that ceiling? And maybe that ceiling is limited, but are they able to consistently get to that ceiling or are they going to, are they going to, you know, flip flop between hitting that ceiling and hitting the floor game after game after game. And so, you know, they hit the ceiling against Charleston Southern. Now, certainly the opponent had something to do with that. They hit the floor against Kentucky. I think we'd all kind of agree about that. The question is, is, is an in-between game from this team good enough to be Colorado State? I think it is. Is it good enough to be Tennessee and Mississippi State on the road? You know, that's where it starts to become become problematic. But yeah, every game is going to be is going to be a toss-up or at least is going to be a challenge for the team. I don't know that Florida is going to be favored a whole lot in, in games other than the uh, other than the Colorado State and the Idaho ones. Um, I mean, again, the good news is is that the other teams in Florida are struggling just as much. And yeah. so, you know, in, in terms of, you know, it's not like there's a juggernaut in Tallahassee that they're looking to play um, at the end of the year. So oh, that, okay. there's an opportunity to get healthy there. An opportunity, I know Bill's mentioned that, that the team that wins that game tends to be the team that um, wins the recruiting battle. And that's a big step for Mullen to be able to beat Florida State in recruiting. So there, there's a lot of things to still be gained from the season. Um, this is not the end of the world. Um, I think it's one data point. We need to take it as one data point, but understand that both from a consistency standpoint and just sort of what the floor of this team is, it's a lot lower than I think people expected coming into the year. 
Yep, yep, uh, definitely. Yeah, di- didn't see the four, uh, especially on defense on that that side of the ball. After what I saw uh, Saturday night, uh, Wilson, quick hitters here. Get your thoughts on uh, Marco Wilson, of course, going down. You mentioned that uh, earlier. So after that, um, you know, uh, Brian Edwards, maybe uh, you know Chris Freeman Williams, uh, but now just a defense uh, secondary that's uh, young and inexperienced. And Mullen even said, "Look, they were down four uh, DBs in terms of numbers coming into the season." And now how everything is played out, they're down four more with injuries. So other guys are going to have to step up. And he even mentioned he wouldn't go too far into it because he says it may not happen. But even maybe getting to the point of putting some offensive players uh, on, on that side of the ball to get some help out there. And, you know, I don't really know in particular who that could be. Is it a Dre Massey? Is it a Daquan Green? You know, I have no idea who else they could put out there uh, from the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but you know, obviously Clement. There's another name maybe you can you can throw out there uh, to put put in that position. But uh, it's a scary proposition right now for where they're at as far as depth goes in the secondary. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, obviously the Marco Wilson injury, the Quincy Linton injury, those sort of added to things. But the Justin Watkins dismissal, um, as well as as Randy Russell's health problems that that you know didn't allow him to to play on the football team are all certainly playing a role here. Um, I think they're going to have to bring people over from the offense at this point. I mean, wide receiver hasn't had a lot of injuries. Those guys have at least gone out there and 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 performed to to a relatively reasonable level. And so, if you're Daquan Green or if you're um, you know or if you're Iverson Clement, you know, are you really going to get that much time on that side of the ball? I think it would make sense if you want to play to to go over to the other side because inevitably, you know, you need guys who can rotate in you, you can't just play the same two corners the entire game and never give them a blow and uh and so they're going to have to do that and, and i think it's probably the right thing to do though again it, how effective they will be given that they're switching is 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 an open question but i would say that i think you'll probably see the kinds of changes they're going to make against colorado state because that's the kind of game where maybe you can get away with it and get away with some of the mistakes. Now, obviously, Colorado State throws the ball pretty well, so yeah. they'll get lots of practice back there <laughs> if they're back there. But this is one of those where you hope that Florida puts together an, an early lead and is able to maybe get some of those guys in there. Um, but again, I mean, Florida's offense has not proven to be all that explosive. Colorado State's is pretty explosive. Um, so, you know, do you want to risk it or do you just want to get the W? The Kentucky loss is a problem. I think a loss to Colorado State would be a really big problem. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I don't think they're going to screw around. I think they're going to try to get the win. And and that may mean that they don't have these guys move over. And, and maybe we don't really see it until after the bye week. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I, I think, you know, in, in this game, it's about getting that running game going too and, and keeping, you know, and keeping that Colorado State uh, offense um, uh, on the field. We'll preview, I'll, I'll preview that game later on Wednesday, just a small preview of that. Um, the four team that's coming off a win against Arkansas. I'll have Cole Kubik on Wednesday, so he's been around the program the uh, last couple of weeks, so uh, he can help uh, break down um, uh, that episode or break down um, what the Gators have been doing the last couple of weeks and what he has seen. Uh, Will, one last thing. Darius Lemons uh, has been confirmed by Dan Mullen today that he is going to uh, transfer away from the program. So, you know, of course, didn't play in the opener. Only returned kicks against uh, Kentucky. Didn't really get di- didn't get carries, uh, as we mentioned about the uh, running backs there. Uh, so we you know we had heard rumors around the the spring and summer that this might be coming. Uh, decided to wait it out. Uh, but only one game into his season, he's deciding to transfer. 
Yeah, it's interesting timing, but yeah. I, you know, I, I think you got to do what's best for yourself in any sort of situation. And you know, he he clearly was not happy with the current administration based on the the things that were left out <laughs> of the statement that he that he that he put out. And clearly, he wants to play more, and and that's fine. I mean, that's that's what you want to do. You know, you would typically hope that a player decides to do that before the season starts, but you know. Florida will be fine. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that, you know, let's wish him well and, and, you know, hope that he goes someplace and plays really well. Cause he was a Gator and, uh, you know, and just make sure or hope he doesn't end up somewhere in the sec making us pay for it. <laughs> yeah. I'd say he probably stays in the state of Florida, but that's just a guess there. So, you know, maybe South Florida or something like that, but, um, yeah, I don't know what happened there, but I would definitely keep an eye uh, on that. So, Will, uh, you got a uh, preview for Colorado State coming up later this week on Read and Reaction? Yeah, there will be a preview for that, and then some of that will probably be a little bit more film breakdown, talking about how how I would fix some of the things that I saw, um, you know, either with personnel or with scheme or, or, or something like that in terms of what went on in the game against Kentucky and what I think Colorado State might try to do. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, like I said, Colorado State throws the ball all over the place. Oh, yeah. um, and, and it'll be interesting to see how – I mean, you would expect Florida to be able to win some upfront battles in that game where maybe Kentucky came in and said, hey, we're going to be physical and we're going to beat you at the line of scrimmage. Colorado State probably doesn't have the guys to be able to do that. And so is the secondary going to be able to hold up and is the defensive line going to be able to get there? It'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to get the taste of the Kentucky game out of my mouth, that's for sure. Yeah, I believe the stat I sent you earlier and what I saw, Carter Samuels, a quarterback, is fifth in the FBS in uh, yards per game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they've played three games so far. Uh, they played in that, uh, what are that, week zero opener against Hawaii where they had to come back, and then they got blown out by Colorado uh, and then upset Arkansas this past week. So, yeah, they're uh, they're, bring, they're bringing some passing numbers with them for sure. So, uh, the uh, trading out there with uh, not a lot of experience will be getting tested, I think, early and often in this game. Yeah, well, that's why he came to Florida, right? So he can yep. get on the field and he can play. So we're going to get to see what he's got, and, and it's going to be fun. All right, all right. Will, anything else? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody who's been who's been supporting Read and Reaction on Twitter. Um, John Curdo, um, Dale Rodriguez, um, RJ Gilliand, and Terry Tokash in particular have uh, have donated to my Patreon account, which I really appreciate. People who support Read and Reaction, you know, I don't believe in paywalls. I don't want people to have to pay to get my stuff. And so, anybody who can support me, that's fantastic. I don't expect it. I don't. You know, I, I'm hesitant to really even plug it. But you know, those guys specifically have supported me, and I just want to say thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys out there for uh, supporting Will, reading Reaction, and Gators Breakdown uh, all together. Uh, got a good thing going on here, so uh, glad with, uh, glad glad you guys like it and, and can support uh, when and where you can. So that is Will Miles. As we said, you can find him at readandreaction.com, his site there, uh, and you can find him on Twitter as well at WillMilesSCC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.